Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about improving HPV vaccine rates among youths with Dr. Sangini Sheth. Dr. Sheth is an associate professor of obstetrics, gynecology, and reproductive sciences at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpire is a professor of surgical oncology. Sangini, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Absolutely. Uh, I'm a general obstetrician gynecologist, but my clinical work and my research work really focuses on cervical cancer prevention. I take care of women who have abnormal uh, cervical cancer screening, so abnormal pap smear results, uh, and do the additional uh, evaluation that's needed um, to make sure that they stay healthy um, and also spend a lot of time thinking about how we can improve uh, HPV immunization. So so that's a, a lot to kind of unpack, but let's start with understanding a little bit more about cervical cancer. So how common is cervical cancer and, and who gets it? In the United States, we see about 13,000 uh, cases of cervical cancer diagnosed every year, and about 4,000 women die from cervical cancer here in the U.S. each year. In terms of who gets it, uh, you know, anyone that has a cervix can get cervical cancer. Um, the most common ages of diagnosis are women in their 30s, 40s, 50s. Uh, fortunately, we can diagnose precancer of the cervix, um, and that is what allows us to try to help prevent uh, cancer from, from, from progressing to cancer. So that brings us to the next question and the, the other aspect of uh, cervical cancer care that you mentioned that you spend a lot of time and energy on, which is cervical cancer prevention. Now, you had talked about two separate issues here, and I want to kind of dive into each. So one is HPV vaccination, and the other is uh, cervical cancer screening with pap tests. So tell us a little bit more about how each of those two things works and what the difference is in terms of how they prevent cancer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we can start with HPV vaccination, which uh, we think of as being primary prevention. Uh, it's the first um, first element we have um, to use to prevent infection from developing in the first place with a virus called human papillomavirus. That's the HPV. Uh, that's a very common virus. And so by being vaccinated and especially vaccinated early, uh, in adolescence, um, we're talking about ages 9, 10, 11, ideally, uh, we can prevent the infections from happening in the first place. And the reason we want to prevent the infection is because virtually all cervical cancer is caused by infection from the HPV virus when that infection stays around for a long time um, and, and isn't cleared by the body. Uh, so the vaccine at a young age really is our first go-to for prevention. 
So let's just hit that point home a little bit. Um, So what you're basically telling us is that nearly all cervical cancers are caused by an infection of a virus, and we have safe, effective vaccines that prevent you from getting infected and therefore prevent you from getting cervical cancer? Exactly. And I want to emphasize the safe and effective um, aspects of the HPV vaccine, which we have had available in uh, in some form or another in the United States for over 15 years now. So we have millions of doses worth of experience um, of giving the vaccine um, and, and doing so safely. And and exactly, it will prevent the infection from the very uh, virus that can cause cervical cancer. So a couple more questions on that. First, is it covered by insurance or is it free? Are there any cost issues that are potential barriers to getting the HPV vaccine? The vaccine is covered by insurance um, for anyone um, that it is recommended for, which is uh, anyone nine to uh, through age 45, it should be covered by insurance. Um, and many places have programs available to give it, um, to make it available for free to uninsured um, individuals as well. And so, you know, the, the other question that people may have is, you know, particularly in light of a lot that we're learning about vaccines and viruses given the current pandemic, is you know, does this vaccine actually prevent you from getting infected um, or does it just make the cervical cancer not something that is as lethal? So when we think about the COVID vaccine, many of us know friends or family who have been fully vaccinated but can still get infected and still test positive. But we know that the disease is not as bad in those people. Whereas with the HPV vaccine, is my understanding correct that um, if you're actually vaccinated, you won't get cervical cancer, at least not the HPV-induced cervical cancer? Right. So the current vaccine we have available protects against nine strains of HPV. Seven of those strains are known to cause cervical and, and other cancers. And two of those strains are known to cause uh, genital warts. And so by pro- the vaccine protects from infection of those nine strains. Um, it wouldn't protect against infection from other types of HPV. And if somebody already has one strain of HPV uh, at the time that they get the vaccine, it wouldn't protect them from what they already had. But it is different in that it protects from infection. And because of that, we see rates of genital warts going down. We see rates of the precancer of the cervix that I mentioned going down. Um, and we're starting to see rates of cervical cancer going down as well. And the other point that I think you made and, and that I just want to uh, kind of amplify is that If you get the vaccine and you're already infected, it won't help you against what you're already infected against. And that's why it's so important to get vaccinated early when people are thinking about uh, vaccination during childhood, 9, 10, 11 years old. Um, 
one of the good reasons to get vaccinated early. Is that right? Yep, exactly. It is um, our immune system responds better when we're younger. Uh, we're going to be protected against more of the strains when we're younger. And then a little added benefit is that if we s- start the um, vaccine prior to the age of 15, it is only two doses as opposed to three doses if it is started later. You know, Sangini, I have to ask you about the elephant in the room, which is the concern that some people have that vaccinating children leads to autism. Can you put that um, kind of myth to bed? Absolutely. So the published studies that raised those questions turned out to be uh, falsified. They were never accurate to begin with. And certainly for HPV, there is no data to bear that out um, for this vaccine or for any other vaccine. Okay. So, um, so for anybody out there who is concerned about autism in children um, getting vaccines, uh, just to reiterate, there is no evidence for that. And when you think about the benefit that these vaccines have in terms of preventing your children from getting not just cervical cancer, but Sangini, am I right that it also protects against oral pharyngeal cancers, anal cancers? Uh, a whole myriad uh, of different cancers that are all related to HPV? Exactly. We we say um, six cancers total that can all be caused by HPV um, that this vaccine can help pre- prevent. And so for everybody who has always been praying for something that will prevent cancer, here you have it. Um, and, and such a good reason to get um, get your children vaccinated. But let me ask you this, Sangini, because I know that people are going to ask, when you say the vast majority of cancers are caused by HPV, are there some that aren't? So is it possible that even if you are vaccinated, you could still get cervical cancer, but not from HPV? And if so, what are the risk factors aside from HPV that cause cervical cancer? And how frequent is that? There are very rare types of cervical cancers that are not caused by HPV. Again, I want to stress the rare when, especially when it comes to cervical cancer. Um, there, and and we're seeing less and less of this, but uh, there used to be exposure to a chemical uh, called DES that increased the risk of cervical cancer, and so. Um, Children of women who are exposed to that um, are would be at increased risk of a non-HPV form of cancer, for example. Um, but that chemical stopped being used a long time ago, and so we see less and less of that. And so let me ask you this question. If everybody in the entire world was to get vaccinated against HPV, would we essentially be putting you out of a job? Um, yeah, that's that, and that would be perfectly fine uh, <laughs> with me. Um, but, but yes, uh, you know, we're actually in a very exciting time right now. Um, globally, the world is um, focused on the elimination of cervical cancer, and the fact that we can even have that conversation is exciting. And the reason we can have that conversation is because of a combination of having the, this vaccine um, as well as um, 
the screening that uh, we you've mentioned already. Yeah. I mean, to, to even talk about eradication of cancer is is just it, it really is exciting and, and really jubilant. Um, let me ask you this. If you've been vaccinated um, against HPV, do you still need to get pap smears? Do you still need to get screened? Yes. Right now, uh, the screening um, still is a really important component. Um, Partly it's because uh, the vaccine right now protects against nine strains, as I said, seven of which cause cervical cancer. That doesn't cover every strain, um, although it covers about 85 to 90% um, of what can cause cervical cancer. but over time, if we, you know, have very, very high rates of vaccination, then one day we may see exactly how we need to screen and who needs to get screen changed. But for right now, you're recommending screening for everybody. Is that right? Exactly. Regardless of vaccination history. So right after we take a quick break for a medical minute, I want to dive more into the screening part. We've talked a lot about primary prevention with vaccines, and that is by far the most exciting breakthrough, I think. But we still need to learn a little bit more about secondary prevention. Who needs a pap smear? What's an HPV test? Um, How exactly does that happen and does it affect you? So please stay tuned. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital, where a wide spectrum of advanced strategies for the diagnosis and treatment of gynecologic cancers are offered. To learn more, visit YaleCancerCenter.org slash G-Y-N-O-N-C. Breast cancer is one of the most common cancers in women. In Connecticut alone, approximately 3,500 women will be diagnosed with breast cancer this year, But there is hope thanks to earlier detection, non-invasive treatments, and the development of novel therapies to fight breast cancer. Women should schedule a baseline mammogram beginning at age 40 or earlier if they have risk factors associated with the disease. With screening, early detection, and a healthy lifestyle, breast cancer can be defeated. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital, to make innovative new treatments available to patients. Digital breast tomosynthesis or 3D mammography is also transforming breast cancer screening by significantly reducing unnecessary procedures while picking up more cancers. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anish Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Sangini Sheth. We're talking about cervical cancer and especially prevention. Now, right before the break, Sangini, we talked a lot about what you called primary prevention, and that was talking about HPV vaccination and the potential that vaccination could actually eradicate cervical cancer and maybe a whole bunch of other cancers as well, which is completely exciting. But you did mention something else, which is screening or secondary prevention. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. And this is probably what most people are are very familiar with, which is screening with a pap test, uh, which we have been using since the 1950s as really the mainstay of cervical cancer prevention. Um, And the need for screening uh, hasn't gone away um, and it remains very important. Um, What's 
changed about screening is that now we're relying more and more on HPV testing uh, as the only form of screening or or a um, secondary part um, to the to the Pap smear uh, to to really understand who's at risk um, and how much risk. So tell us a little bit more about that. So many of us are familiar with Pap smears. So let's break it down a little bit. So we should start cervical cancer screening for people at age 21. So anyone with a cervix needs to start screening at age 21. That screening, um, at least until the age of 25, should be in the form of a pap smear. Um, Starting at age 25, there are some options for how to do the screening. Uh, We can stay with the pap smear. Um, and we, or we can start adding in HPV testing. Uh, the reason that HPV testing makes sense is because, as we talked about earlier, that virus is what we know causes almost all cervical cancer. And by testing for the presence or absence of the virus, uh, we can start to identify who is at risk. There is some, some newer um, recommendations that we're not really starting to see um, broadly in clinical practice, um, but we we will probably um, start to incorporate more and more often. Um, and and that is a role for doing only HPV testing um, down the road. So let me ask you this. The purpose of the pap smear is to find pre-cervical cancer cells that we can potentially eliminate before they actually progress into invasive cervical cancer. Is that right? Exactly. And so if you were just to get tested with for HPV, you know that you're at risk, but how does that help you to find those pre-cervical cancer cells? By knowing who is positive for HPV and then having a little bit more information about which type of HPV. There's hundreds of types out there, but we're really focused on a handful that cause most cervical cancer. It helps guide us to who needs uh, further evaluation in the same way that a abnormal pap test would tell us. And more and more uh, science is telling us that the HPV test alone may be as good, if not better, than uh, the pap test. So tell us a little bit more about that HPV test. Is that a blood test? Is that a um, a cervical uh, kind of swab test like a pap except testing for HPV? How exactly does that happen? Yeah, so from a patient's perspective, what they would experience when they go to the doctor is not that different from what they were experiencing when, if they were getting only a pap. Um, it still involves a gynecology exam with a speculum, um, and the specimen is collected at the cervix, um, and then HPV testing is done on that, um, which also allows for, um, if in certain conditions, if a pap test then needs to be performed later on, um, it can be done on that same collection. The patient doesn't need to go back for, for another exam. So basically what you're saying is that either way, you're going to have a gynecologic exam and kind of a specimen that's taken from the cervix. 
which is either stained to see whether there's precancerous cells there, like a pap smear, or more frequently now, it sounds like, um, gets tested for HPV. And so if that test is positive for HPV, what's the next step? This is where a conversation with um, the the physician becomes really important. In some cases, the recommendation may be um, needing to do a repeat sooner, so maybe a year later um, instead of a few years later. But in other situations, the next step is going to be the recommendation for a procedure called colposcopy, which is a big fancy word to mean looking at the cervix in the office with a microscope um, to get a better look at the cervix and take some very small biopsies, uh, again, in the office. And if you had an abnormal pap smear, would that be the next step as well? Exactly. The The next steps, the options of next steps um, don't really change. Either it would have been following up with another test sooner, um, meaning about a year or so, or being recommended to have this colposcopy procedure. And so when you have that procedure, um, is this something that you need to kind of stay off work from? Is it really painful? Or is this something that's kind of, you know, more like a blood test and not really too bad and you can get back to living your life? The the, the latter. Um, it is done in the office. It doesn't require um, taking the day off from work beyond the time of the exam. Um, there's not a recovery period um, it's much more like a blood test uh, than than some than some larger invasive test. Okay, so you go in for your regular gynecologic exam. Your doctor does either a Pap smear or, more likely, an HPV test. If it comes back positive, you have a colposcopy. You go in. They take a few samples. How long does it take to get those results back? About. 10 days. Okay. And what are they looking for? Are they looking for precancerous cells? Exactly. They're looking for precancerous cells. Um, we tend to grade um, precancer uh, in at three different levels, a level one, a level two, or a level three. Um, anything beyond a level three is means invasive cervical cancer. Um, and then depending on the level, what uh, what might be recommended next um, varies. So tell us more about that. So for a level one, often referred to in medical terms as CIN1 or low-grade dysplasia, uh, the risk of future cervical cancer is still very low. And so we're going to observe, follow that, observe that with um, repeat testing in one year. When we get to level two, the risk of cervical cancer in the future, long term, um, if left untreated, starts to increase. Um, but the chances of it resolving or going away is also there. Um, and so that's where there's a we factor in a patient's age, what they may be thinking in terms of um, future fertility and childbearing. Um, and make a recommendation accordingly as to whether we recommend treatment um, with something called a LEAP procedure, uh, 
which we can talk about in a second, uh, or following very closely, meaning every six months with a repeat colposcopy uh, for up to two years to see if it does in fact resolve um, or if there's signs that it's starting to worsen, then saying, you know, we should just move forward with treatment. And then by the time it gets to that level three or a CIN three, um, we say we just need to pr- proceed with um, treatment with that LEAP procedure. So tell us more about this LEAP procedure. In some offices, the LEAP procedure uh, can also be done in the office. Um, it can be very well tolerated with just some local anesthetic like lidocaine, similar to what someone might receive for a dental procedure. Um, or it can be done in the operating room as a same-day surgery. And it, what it involves is removing a small portion of the cervix where the abnormal cells are to get rid of those cells. And then that's it. Then you're done. And then you've reduced your risk back down to baseline? So then we, um, we still do surveillance, meaning we follow patients every 6 to 12 months with pap tests to, to make sure that they've truly um, reduced their risk. The risk never goes completely to baseline, um, but it, it drops a lot. And the longer somebody goes um, with having normal or negative testing after that treatment, uh, the less likely they are to, to have um, the issue come back. So, you know, the next question is really something I think, as I mentioned before the break, a lot of people have gotten a lot of information and, and some misinformation um, from the experience that we've had during the pandemic. And one of the things that we've recognized during the pandemic is not only the importance of vaccines, but also the fact that there are treatments available that may treat um, uh, this viral illness called COVID. And so I guess one of the questions that people might be wondering is, if HPV causes cervical cancer, aside from the HPV vaccine that we've talked about that is so effective, are there kind of antiretrovirals or monoclonal antibodies or something against HPV that are effective in the treatment of cervical cancer? That's a great question. Um, unfortunately, right now, the answer is that there's no other medical treatments for, to, to get rid of HPV infection. Um, there's That's an area that's gets being studied a lot, but we don't have anything available to us right now. Um, which only further underscores why the vaccine and the screening, the things we do have available, are really important. Um, the only other thing I would add is, um, you know, smoking is a risk factor for cervical cancer, as we know it is for many other cancers and health conditions. Um, and so that is something that um, people can focus on um, to reduce their risk even more is not smoking. And it sounds like, you know, if if you were to get vaccinated, um, you reduce your risk of developing this. You still need to get these HPV tests. And so do you still get them every three years as you would otherwise? Once someone is age 30 or older, if they have a negative HPV test, the screening can be spaced out to every five years. 
that's one of the other beauties of HPV testing is because it's testing for the risk factor. And so a negative test spaces you out more. So the last question I have for you is when do people stop uh, getting screened for cervical cancer? Is there an upper age limit? If someone has had adequate negative testing, we can stop starting at age 65. Sometimes it's hard to have that information. um, And so often we can't stop somebody at that age. Um, And the other situation would be if someone's had surgical removal of their uterus and cervix. Dr. Sangini Sheth is an associate professor of obstetrics, gynecology, and reproductive sciences at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.